Hi, this is Crystal Cyrus from the OOTW podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. And now it's time for our feature presentation. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 235, Avatar Movie Review. McBrien along with Derek Myers and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Now this week, Derek had me watch Avatar and I'd never seen it. Surprise, surprise. So we're going to do a full movie review on Avatar this episode. How the hell have we done 235 episodes and not reviewed like the top grossing film of all time? It's amazing, I tell you. But uh, anyway, before we get around to that movie, Derek... What pop culture can you educate me on this week? What, what have you been able to get around to since we last spoke, my friend? Well, I got a couple of things, but I just want mm-hmm. to correct you. Avatar was the top grossing movie when it came out, but I'm pretty sure Avengers Endgame has surpassed it since then. But it, it's, it it's, held the title for like a decade. So It's actually it's actually retaken the first spot, and I've, I've got more on oh, yeah? that later. Yeah, I've got okay, more on that. Okay. I just, I've kind of put I together just, something kind of cool. I know sometimes you forget about little movies like Avengers, so yeah. you know, I just wanted to... I, and sure. by the way, I've never seen an Avengers movie either. Oh, my God. Well, that's that's a whole podcast for another time. But okay, Uh, I only have a couple of things to talk about this week. Unfortunately, no documentaries actually started watching a documentary today and it was kind of awful. So I turned it off. I'm not sure if I'm going to go back to it or not. I can mention it next time we we do our show, because if I end up if I finish watching it, I want to give it its its due. And just finish it so we can play the song. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I mentioned over the past couple of episodes Mm -hmm. that I've been pouring through episodes of 30 Rock. I finally finished the entire show. It's fantastic. It is it is absolutely fantastic. If you are not a fan of this show, if you have never watched this show, if you were like me and you didn't watch it when it was on TV and you can find it on one of your streaming services, I strongly recommend you give this show a legitimate shot. It is amazing. And I have never really been a huge Alec Baldwin fan. I mean, he's okay. He's done a lot of stuff. He's been in things I've liked. And, uh, you know, he's had his ups and downs. But after watching this movie, I am now a full-on Alec Baldwin fan. He was fantastic. I mean, the character he plays uh, just was amazing. He did a great job. And Tina Fey, you can't say enough good things about this woman. The show is her brainchild. She wrote a whole bunch of the episodes. I think she wrote almost every episode in the first season. I think she even got a chance to direct some of these. She was certainly the producer on most, if not all, of the show. Like, hi, you know, double thumbs up for for Tina Fey for for this show and. What I really liked about one of the things I really liked about this was um, in the last couple of seasons, they actually did live episodes because most of the cast came from Saturday Night Live. Mm -hmm. So they were used to doing live shows. And and Alec Baldwin has been like one of their all time, uh, you know, uh, most most common guests, guest hosts. So he's been on, you know, so many times. Right. And of course, when they did the live episodes, they had a lot of SNL alumnus come in as guest stars for those episodes. But no, the show is great. The performances are great. The stories were great. Just the the whole way the show came together. I, I'm just I'm disappointed I missed it when it was live. Uh, well, not live, but when the new episodes were coming out. But I'm very glad I, I got around to 
watching it. So uh, can't recommend that one strongly enough. 30 Rock, if you've never watched an episode, go check it out. And if you have watched it but haven't seen it in a long time, it might be worth a rewatch. Speaking of going back in the archives, uh, I went back to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. If you recall, probably not if you recall, but if our listeners recall, Mm -hmm. Netflix had... The the uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe television versions of some of these characters and shows. So they did Daredevil, they did um, Luke Cage, they did um, Jessica Jones, and they did Iron Fist. Four different characters that eventually came together into the Defenders show. And it was much like the movies where you introduce each character and then you eventually roll them all out into one you know combination show where they all appear. And Daredevil being the first one has had the most uh, the most episodes. So I watched Daredevil season one, loved it. Watched Daredevil season two, loved it. Never got around to Daredevil season three and honestly don't really remember why. So this week I decided I'm going to go back and revisit Daredevil season three. In part because I heard that they are going to be doing a Daredevil season four or possibly a Daredevil feature film. And the actor who plays Daredevil is is still signed on to do these so i thought you know what i'm gonna go back and give it a try i'm about halfway through and it is great and i again don't know how i didn't just keep on top of this when it first came out it's no longer on netflix they are now all on disney plus but i'm halfway through daredevil season three and i am really enjoying it now in all fairness i am a daredevil fan i read the comic books i'm you know not recently but in the 80s and 90s i read the comics and a lot of these TV shows pull from those older issues. So I kind of know where the story's going and I'm kind of familiar with some of the characters, but it's interesting to see how they put a modern spin on some of these stories that are 30 or 40 years old. But no, Daredevil season three on Disney Plus, loving it. Is he the blind guy? Yes, yes. That's got to be really tough fighting crime when you're blind. Well, the whole idea is it's like he's like a bat where he's blind, but he has like this sonar radar sense. Mm. So he can still sort of quote unquote see uh, but he's not seeing visually like he can't read because he can't see like what's on a printed page or he can't mm-hmm. see photographs. You can't probably like, do read braille, off of a monitor. Though. Yeah, of course. And uh, but anyway, and then I finally the third and final one I want to talk about mm-hmm. tonight is I had a chance to watch a newer movie. My wife and I decided that we went on uh, the Cineplex app and decided to rent a home viewing of the recent film Bullet Train starring Brad Pitt. It came out in the theaters a couple of months back. We actually both wanted to see it in the theaters and just never got around to it. And now it's available on home video. It only costs us like seven bucks. So we're like, yep, for seven bucks, let's do it. It was awesome. We loved it. And when you rent it online, you have it for 48 hours. So we actually watched it the one night and then we watched it again the next night. And it's like, yeah, let's watch this again. So we definitely got our money's worth. It was a lot of fun. It was a good action movie. It was, uh, it had a lot of performers that you sort of go, oh, I, I think I know that guy from something. Um, and the dialogue was good. The story was good. The action sequences were good. I thought the ending really paid off well. I really enjoyed it. It was a little over two hours long. And uh, I mean, I only had to pay seven bucks to rent it. And the two of us got to watch it twice. So money well spent. But uh, yeah, if you haven't seen Bullet Train and you think, eh, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't, give it a try. No, I enjoyed it a lot. So that was it. <laughs> It was my last one for the week. What about you, Chris? What have you been watching? Well, you know me, Derek. Even when I watch something relatively new, I always seem to find a Gen X connection in some way. So this week is no different. So my wife and I have been looking for a new show to watch on Netflix. I mentioned that previously. Have you tried 30 Rock? I heard it's good. Yeah, you keep saying that. So what we actually started watching was, was Downton Abbey. This is more for her than me. You know, go figure. So I, I figure if I let her watch Downton Abbey... And then, you know, I sit through like six seasons of this. 
Maybe she'll finally give in and watch a movie with me. I was thinking of Kill and Kill again from 1981 with James Ryan. Sure. Yeah, I, I mean, know. a divorce might be in your near future, but <laughs> we'll you think that's see. the way to go. So anyway, so we started watching Downton Abbey and we're like two minutes into the show and this actor comes on screen. He's like the head servant there, right? It's like, it's about this castle and like the rich people live there and the servants. So the head servant comes on and I'm like, hey, I know that guy. That's deja vu. And my wife is like, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah, I don't know what that is. <clears throat> Do you remember the movie, Derek, Top Secret? From 1984. Oh, yes. With Val yes, Kilmer. Yes, yes, yes. Val Kilmer, yeah. Zuckerberg. Chocolate Moose. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So there's there's the scene in Top Secret where the head of the French resistance is introducing Val Kilmer to all of the French rebels. And he's like, this is Chevalier, Montage, Détente, Avant-Garde, and this is Déjà Vu. And Déjà Vu is this guy, this actor. And he goes, haven't we met somewhere before Monsieur and Val yeah. Kilmer's like I don't think so and Deja Vu steps back and then looks at him again <laughs> it's like yeah. so funny and then and then there's all the other French resistance guys croissant souffle escargot and this is chocolate mousse and the best thing is I'm explaining this to my wife and she's like I'm trying to watch Down Abbey stop <laughs> so anyway I just wanted you to know that that Deja Vu is in Downton Abbey and the actor's name is Jim Carter so I thought that was pretty cool it would be even cooler if Chocolate Moose was in it too mm-hmm. maybe 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 they would serve Chocolate Moose to the rich people you know they do that by the way the actor that played Chocolate Moose was in Raiders of the Lost Ark did you know that yeah, it was Scaramanga, wasn't he? Yeah, he was one of the sailors on the Bantu ship. Remember, yeah. he was always like, hey, he's over there when he went yeah. and he swims across, right? We are a fountain of useless Gen X pop culture. Oh, yeah. A chocolate fountain at that. Maybe we could sit down to a nice bowl of chocolate mousse together sometime. Instead, what do you say we just do this? Here's your dad joke of the week. So since we're reviewing Avatar this week, I thought that I'd do an Avatar joke for you. Oh, okay? boy. Derek, how do you know that Avatar is a sequel to Titanic? Ooh, uh, I, I have honestly, I have no idea. Because half the cast is blue and dying. Oh, that, that's a stretch, man. That's a stretch. I am going to hell. You're drowning. Star Trek could always see into the future, couldn't they? What do you have that we can slap Star Trek logos onto? Shatner's hair. The toys that made us. The TJ Hooker hair. TJ Hooker. I could have auxiliary power back in a few minutes. Yeah, no, I I, I really like it. Con! Why don't I give you a quick scan to make sure you're okay? Kirk got around a little bit. Go. Do you need a tranquilizer? Oh my god. All right, Derek. So this week it was time once again for you to get me to watch a, a quote unquote newer movie. Now, if anyone is new to the podcast, I consider new to be anything that came out after 1989. I'm a crotchety old man. What can I say? So I've had a few people email me this this past week because I mentioned at the end of our last show that I'd never seen Avatar. And they're like, what the hell? How can you have never seen Avatar? You know, it's like, it's like the highest grossing film of all time. Like, come on, come on. Right? The thing is, I spend all my time rewatching episodes of WKRP and Happy Days. And what can I say? So anyway, you could have picked any movie at all, Derek. Why did you decide to go with Avatar? So there's a couple of reasons. Mm-hmm. So the probably the most obvious reason is 
the sequel to Avatar is coming out in a couple of months, right around Christmas time. Hmm. This movie was recently re-released in theaters. Now, I didn't have a chance to go back and watch it in the theater. I, I, I wanted to. I just didn't have an opportunity to do so. And if it's still playing in theaters now, honestly, I haven't looked it up. I may actually still try to get in to see it in the theaters before Christmas, even though we I just watched it again this week because there's just so much with this movie that is a visual spectacle. That's one thing about James Cameron I think we'll all agree on is he, he knows how to make an entertainment movie. He knows how to really you know use special effects to their maximum effect and, and really just show you something you've never ever seen before and and that's the beauty of filmmaking so that's that was a big part of it but the other part of it is from time to time i like to revisit epics like we we do a lot of 80s comedies on this we do a lot of like you know just sort of fun movies light movies things that are more movies than films but from time to time i want to visit an epic we did the great escape we did the first Lord of the Rings movie, you know, like we don't do a lot of quote unquote epics, but when we do, it's a big deal. And I, I sort of felt like we needed to revisit an epic. And this, even though it's science fiction, I think definitely qualifies as that epic, if for no other reason than the fact that it's quite long. Um, and so I thought, you know, let's watch. It. And then when I heard you had never seen it before, I'm like, OK, we are absolutely watching this. So um, I was very pleasantly surprised so i own the dvd of avatar and mm. it was still in the original shrink wrap i bought it in 2009 when the dvd first came out and i never once opened it i oh. i saw it in the theater twice and then when it came out on video i bought it and i just never got around to watching it so mm. i opened up this dvd and it's like this super duper awesome extra special collector's edition it's got three discs the movie itself is over two dvds but on each DVD, there's three different versions of the movie. There's the original theatrical cut, which I felt that was the one I needed to watch for this podcast. There's a director's cut with, I think, 16 minutes of additional footage. And then there's the family-friendly cut authorized by James Cameron where they remove anything that a, a family-viewing audience might find offensive. I don't know specifically what that would be. Like, there's no nudity in this. There's no boobs or anything like that. There are only a handful of swears. So I don't know if it's some of the more violent fighting scenes but uh, uh you know again that's a discussion for another day so each disc had three versions of the movies oh and then there was multiple audio commentaries on these movies which again i didn't have time to listen to so that was the first two discs and then the third disc was like this special features disc that was like two hours of behind the scenes stuff again it just didn't have the time to watch it but and the whole thing is presented in like a hardcover it looks like a hardcover book and it was just like, I was blown away by the production value of this. I was like, how have I never opened this before? It's been sitting on the shelf for 12 years in the original shrink wrap. So I was, it, you know, it was fun to finally open that. It was like getting a new present, right? It's like getting a package for Amazon going, Ooh, I wonder what showed up today. <laughs> and here it was this brand new copy of Avatar. So, so that just sort of added a little bit of extra excitement for me. But uh, yeah, anyway, that in a nutshell, that was all those things combined was sort of why I wanted you to watch it. And I'm hoping that you have some strong opinions on it, love it, hate it, or otherwise, and we'll get into it later. So one thing is, is it's not available on the streamers. I couldn't find anywhere. I had to rent it, which is fine. I don't mind doing that. Was I don't it not mind available investing on Disney a little Plus? Bit. Nope. I don't mind investing a little bit, uh, you know, for this podcast. It was fine. I actually thought it was quite good. It was a bit long, like you mentioned. Yeah. And one thing I noticed was it borrows from a bunch of other films. We'll get into that in a bit more detail in a oh, bit. Oh, yeah, but, for sure. But I, I, I thought it was pretty good. So, Well, that's good. I mean, on its face, I'm glad you felt that way. We can go mm -hmm. into the specifics and we can give it rankings at the end. But uh, yeah, same thing. I, I 
I remember enjoying it when I saw it in the theater. I mean, I think overwhelmingly most people liked it to a certain extent. There's a lot to like about it. Um, I don't know any of my peer group that walked out of the movie and said that that was crap. I'm never watching it again. I think everyone had something in there they found they they enjoyed. Although I think most people had a few criticisms on one, and a lot of it was just that it was too long. But um, let you know, we'll dive into it and figure out sort of you know what did we like? Did we like the same things or not? And uh, we'll go from there. So we mentioned it's the highest grossing film of all time. So before we get into a full review of this movie, I I have a question for you, Derek. Fire away. In your opinion, is Avatar deserving of being the highest grossing film of all time? Hmm. Loaded question. I know. I'm going to say yes, a qualified yes. Now, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but Avengers Endgame was the number one until just recently when this was re-released. Is that correct? correct? Yeah. And I think the Avengers franchise and the Avengers Endgame earned that number one spot like no other film franchise in history. They took 20 films building up to this culmination of this this massive payoff and everybody and their mother wanted to see where it went and they clearly did because it broke every record in existence. But Avatar held that record for over a decade and there's a reason for that. The movie had so much going for it. In part, I, I mean in part, I think it's a great movie but I think just... Cameron knows what he's doing when it comes to entertainment value and, you know, love or hate the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think a movie like this that say, oh, I don't want to say standalone because I know they're coming out with a sequel. But the idea that originally this was just a standalone feature, this was an original franchise. It didn't come from a comic book. It didn't come from a novel. It was just James Cameron's imagination. Like the fact that that could be the number one movie in existence just blows my mind. So, yes, I, I do believe that it absolutely has earned the number one and deserves the number one for those reasons. Well, I thought it might be interesting to take a look at the history of the highest grossing movies ever. It's kind of a cool little history lesson. Okay. So especially if you're a big movie. Tell movie. me about it. Okay. So it all started back in 1915 with Birth of a Nation. It was the highest grossing film at the time, and it held the title for almost a quarter century until a little movie called Gone with the Wind came along in 1939. Never seen it. And it took and it took another quarter century to knock off Gone with the Wind. Derek, before we get into the rest of the titles, any mm. guesses as to which 1965 movie took over as the highest grossing film of all time by passing Gone with the Wind? I was gonna say The Godfather, but I think that was the 70s. So if you said 65 1965. I'm guessing it was probably a musical. Um but I'm blanking on on what it might be. Chi Chi Bang Bang? I don't know. No, you were right. It was The Sound of Music. The there Sound of Music in 1965 took over yeah. as the highest grossing film of all time. Didn't last long because in 1971, Gone with the Wind was re-released. So it oh. retook the top spot. Okay. And then a year later, The Godfather came out in 1972. That became the highest grossing film until Jaws in 1975. Then Jaws was dethroned by Star Wars in 1977 which was then passed by E.T. in 1982 as the highest grossing film of all time, which lasted just a little over 10 years because Jurassic Park in 1993 became the highest grossing film of all time. I love that Spielberg surpassed himself. Yep. And then in 1997, if you remember, George Lucas re-released the Star Wars um, special yes. edition. Yes. So 
Star Wars theater definitely went back to see those. I did too. And Star Wars in 1997 retook the number one spot as the highest grossing film of all time. But later that year, it was passed by Titanic, which came out in 1997. And then Avatar in 2009 beat Titanic. So like Spielberg beat himself now, Cameron beating himself. And then like you mentioned, Avengers Endgame in 2019 took the number one spot and then Avatar in 2021 was re-released in China and then again in North America just recently. So Avatar is back in number one spot. So that's a little history lesson of all the highest. That's a pretty, from. that's a pretty substantial list. Yeah, it's that's pretty a, cool. And it's, it's it something I've never really sat down and looked at before. No, no, it's an interesting it exercise. Yeah. It, that'd be an interesting like university course to go back and watch all of those movies and then study sort of like, well, what did they do that made them a phenomenon to the point where it surpassed whatever was before it? So of all those films, and now that you know them all, do you still think Avatar should be the number one highest grossing film of all time? If you adjust for inflation, Gone with the Wind is still number one. I was going to say, yeah. It's it still sold, it sold more tickets than yeah. any other film in yeah. history. But no, if you I, look I, back I, on that I, list, you still think Avatar would be number one? Uh, yeah, given where we are now, yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. Again, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Star Wars. I love E.T. Um, and I, I, I would love to see those two movies remain at the top. But I think like anything else, there's a progression, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like... Both the storytelling and the technology need to uh, be reflective of the time. And I think as great as both Star Wars and E.T. were in the moment, I think Avatar presents something that we hadn't seen before. And so it deserves that. You know, it rightly deserves that. um, No big surprise for me. I think Star Wars should be the highest grossing. Well, shocking, I know. So James Cameron and Steven Spielberg, as we just mentioned, are the only directors to hold the top spot more than once with different films. Because George Lucas regained the top spot, like we said, but, you know, after he added all that CGI crap to the movie. Okay, so Avatar, it was made on a budget of $237 million, and it was released in the United States on December the 18th, 2009. It's gone on to gross almost $3 billion worldwide. Like, wow, that's insane. That is insane. So one thing that kind of stood out to me with the release of Avatar, 3D movies. So, they were originally big back in the 50s with movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon and House of Wax. But they were kind of seen as a bit of a fad. So, 3D movies went away. And then they made a comeback in the early 80s with movies like Metal Storm, The Destruction of Jared Sin. Oh, I remember that one. And Coming At Ya was another one I remember that came up. And Jaws 3D, of course. Of course, because if you remember, in like 1983, there was this fad of having the third movie sequel be in 3D. There was Jaws 3 in 3D. There was Friday the 13th Part 3 in 3D. Oh, yeah, that's right. And Amityville Horror 3. And then 3D went away again. And it wasn't until Avatar came out that 3D became sort of viable with big mainstream movies. And the other thing was studios could charge more to see it in 3D. So it became a revenue stream, right? So they could make even more money. And right after this movie came out, Avatar, you saw a ton of movies being released in 3D. And it's still going on today in 2022. Well, remember they also had like um, 3D TVs you could buy for your home entertainment system. Yes, that's right. I don't know if they still do that, but it was definitely a thing for a while. Now, honestly... I wear glasses. I have I have issues with my eyes, and I have since I was a little kid. And 3D technology has never once ever worked for me, just because my 
depth perception is all messed up, even with my prescription glasses. 3D has never, ever, ever worked for me. So it's a phenomenon that I have just never been able to participate in and just think is bonkers. But uh, I know a lot of people that that swear by it. And a lot of the Avengers movies and the Marvel movies have been 3D or have had mm-hmm. parts in 3D. And, I just, you know, whenever we've gone to the theaters, like well, when a new movie comes out, my friend's like, oh, we're going to go see this together. I'm like, great. And they're like, we've got tickets to see it in 3D. I'm like, well, you guys have fun with it. I'm going to the showing in 30 minutes in the regular theater. <laughs> no, so you're right. Like the success of Avatar in 3D led to, you know, a whole bunch of manufacturers making those 3D TVs. Yeah. Although the technology was pretty substandard. It, it didn't really take off, you know, but it just it just goes to show you how big and how influential Avatar was on pop culture. You know? Oh, yeah. Um, so my wife had seen this movie before. Um, I think she went with some friends to see it or when it came out, whatever. And she always, she said to me, like, when we were going to watch it, she's like, she goes, I remember this movie. Like, it, it was it was moving, like, to her. She was very moved by the story. She said it was very sure. touching. So yep. I thought that was interesting going into it. So I want to talk a little bit about the cast. We like to always do this. Yep. So... The thing was interesting. I think rather than going with a bunch of these huge box office movie stars, James Cameron instead decided to spend his budget pretty wisely, I'd say, you know, on state-of-the-art special effects and then just get some good actors to kind of play the parts. Spielberg did that with Jurassic Park as well, you know, so it's, it's tried and true. Sam Worthington, I had no idea who he was. I'd never seen him in anything before this. You? Uh, not before this, but I know right after this, he was in a Terminator sequel, which I I enjoyed. I know it got kind of crappy reviews. And then the year after that, he was in the remake of Clash of the Titans as Perseus. So he sort of had a moment for a while, and then he sort of fell off the face of the earth. But obviously, he's in the Avatar sequel, so I'm sure he's not hurting financially. Probably not. Um, Zoe Zaldana. Um, oh, her we know for sure. It's The thing was, it's not easy to recognize actors from this movie. Number one, because, you know, I never see anything new, you know, mm-hmm. but also because they're CGI'd into these big blue monkeys, you know, the Navi or whatever they call them. So, but I looked up Zoe Aldana and then, cause I was like, I recognize her. Oh, she's been in tons of So stuff. she was in Star Trek and Guardians of the Galaxy, both of which you made me watch here on the podcast. Yeah. So I'd seen her in stuff already. So but in all fairness... She was in this movie before those other ones, even though I think Star Trek was released before Avatar. The Avatar, she had finished working on Avatar before going into those other movies. So again, they all sort of hit at the right time or like within a very short time frame of each other. And suddenly she's like catapulted to like the A-list. And I mean, she's she's a great performer and she's certainly easy on the eyes. And, uh, you know, she's she's earned every accolade she's got. And, and I thought she was great in this movie. Sigourney Weaver, we should mention. I think on one hand, it's easy to think that Sigourney Weaver is this Hollywood major movie actress, but she's pretty much known for the Alien movies, Ghostbusters, and this. And Working Girl. Yeah. I mean, her first ever Hollywood movie, she was an extra in Annie Hall back in 1977. I think her scene ended up on the cutting room floor, though. Um but I, I think she's an interesting actress. I think she's very talented. I, I don't think Hollywood ever really figured out how to cast her. I mean, like, she was amazing well, as Ripley in the first Alien movie, which you oh, had yeah. me watch on this. And yeah, like yeah. I say, I think she's talented, but I I don't know. Maybe she, I just I don't think she has a huge range as an actress. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. I don't know. I always got the sense that. I mean, again, you look back sort of with today's lens on a lot of this and it's like, I think, again, I, I'm talking on my butt here and I don't know if this is accurate or true, but 
from what I understand of, of her values, I got to think she was very, um, she stood up for what she felt was right and made certain very reasonable demands. And as a woman working in this industry was probably pegged as a troublemaker, quote unquote troublemaker by her male counterparts. And I think that probably limited some options in her, her career. I mean, she's done a ton of movies, but she just seems like a no nonsense, you know, not take any crap from anyone kind of person. I mean, that always seems to be the kind of role she plays. And I got to think that's that's reflective of how she is in real life. And it wouldn't surprise me to learn that over the years she she sort of, you know, got in her own way in the sense of the way things used to be done was you had to be more passive. And she's like, uh-uh, I'm not having any of that. And in today's world, she'd be she'd be applauded for that. And I think that she was probably ahead of her time and was a little bit of a trailblazer for other women performers and. Uh, you know, I think that's why she maybe didn't break out to be the A plus 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 lister that she might have been, and instead you see her in five alien movie, four alien movies, two Ghostbusters movie, pardon me, three Ghostbusters, four Ghostbusters movies. I think she was in all of them. Uh, she was in actually a really funny movie called Dave with Kevin Klein, um, which was really good, and uh, she was in Galaxy Quest, which uh, I don't know. Did we do Galaxy Quest on this podcast? No, I think I you remember. did it on uh, Cinema Nine podcast. And again, that oh, that's right, yeah. And again, that uh, Galaxy Quest being sort of a wink, wink of the Star Trek's uh, Star Trek franchise. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, she's definitely had some um, some memorable roles, some some bigger roles that people remember her for. But like, you look at her IMDb, and it says like she's been in over a hundred a hundred movies mm-hmm. as a performer. So it's like, she's, she's worked consistently and, uh, and, and she's great. I love her. I'm like, I'm happy whenever I see her movie. I'm like, okay, hey, you know, you're getting, you're getting something good out of this. So. Yeah. I mean, she really played that tough kind of role in alien yeah. and you know, the fact that, you know, she was the one surviving at the end. That was cool. And I thought she was drop dead gorgeous in ghostbusters, but I mean, she never really broke through as a huge movie star, but Giovanni Ribisi, I want to mention, we were watching this and I said to my wife, hey, that's the guy from Friends. You know, she loves that show. Yeah. Um, my sister's was, having my baby. Yes. He was Phoebe's brother. Right. And he was also in Saving Private Ryan. But the thing is, like, I thought he was good in this part, but I thought he could have just as easily been played by any number of actors. Yeah, in that role. I agree. So he's a little I bit agree. interchangeable there. Honestly, I'm not a huge fan of his work. He's been in a handful of movies that I like. Mm-hmm. He's got a very minor but funny part in the movie That Thing You Do, the the Tom Hanks film. Right. Um, and like you said, he's been in Friends. He was in Saving Private Ryan. Uh, you know, he, he's been in a lot of movies with a lot of big stars. I just honestly, he's just he's just not my cup of tea. I, I could definitely leave him. CCH Pounder, I want to mention, she played the, that older, wiser Blue Monkey, and I thought she was amazing in Sons of Anarchy. I did not like Sons of Anarchy that much, but I thought she was awesome in that show, so she stood out to me. And Michelle Rodriguez, I want to mention. I never really watched the Fast and Furious movies. I've never seen any of them. I'm not going to lie. But she was in Lost. I remember in season two, she was one of the tail people. Remember, she was mm-hmm. killed by Michael yep. in the Hatch. Tail Enders. Yep. Yeah. I remember there was a lot of controversy because I used to like that show. And then she got a DUI and then her character was killed off the show. So I remember recently I, tr- I tried to get my 13 year old son to watch Lost. I thought he'd love it. He watched the pilot episode. That was it. He Let me guess. Like it. He thought he that was too slow. Yeah. He's like, he goes, I don't want to watch this anymore. So back to watching like dumb YouTubers yelling at stuff. Oh, these kids today, Derek, I tell you. Yeah. So, well, so let me let me just comment on that. So yeah. CCH Pounder, I agree. I love her. She was She's actually good. really good in the series The Shield, 
um, which which she was in like what to say here? She was in like over ninety episodes. Oh, I think she was in it right from the beginning. She was great in that. She's done a lot of voice work for DC Comics animated stuff. She she plays one of the major um, supporting characters. She's been in like Justice League cartoons and and like DC Comics keeps putting out animated films uh like two or three a year and she's voices she does voices well she basically voices the same character in all of them and she seems to appear in just about every one of them and she had a recurring role on the tv show the west wing uh she probably only appeared in a dozen or so episodes but again quite memorable she's she's definitely a uh a performer that when she's on screen you stop and take notice she's she's a real presence and i think the fact that she's got such a distinct voice really helped this role because I believe all the actors that were portraying the Navi still performed the roles just in motion capture suits with the dots and all the rest of that. Um, so I got to think that she actually performed the the character she was in, but, but her voice brings a certain amount of gravitas to it that, that really like, you know, when she's speaking, there's no nonsense going on. So, and kind of like I touched base on before this movie is not about the cast. It's about the CGI, right? Absolutely. And you know me, I hate CGI. I think most of it just looks awful. But I. But let me ask you this. Yep. Do you think this movie would have been better if the people playing the Navi were on stilts and wearing makeup? Well, I mean, they couldn't have done that, right? Well, I agree. I don't think they could have. I think for the vision that Cameron had, this was the only way to accomplish it. So love it or hate it, for this movie to be what it was, you had to do it digitally. Oh, I agree. And the thing is, like I say, generally, I hate CGI, but for this movie, it actually looks pretty slick. It's got its cheesy moments. Agreed. Especially when the Navi are running around. At times, it looks a little wonky. Kind of looks like a video video game. game. Yeah, yeah. That's what I thought. But for the most part, I thought the CGI was pretty well done. So you agree, obviously? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I agree. You know, and it got me thinking, too. It seems like there's just, there's people that do CGI good, and then there's people that do CGI bad. So on the good CGI thing, I think you've got people like Peter Jackson, James Cameron, obviously, and Steven Spielberg. Yep. Bad CGI is the Scorpion King. George Lucas. And anything George Lucas touches. Yep. So. But one other thing, too, the the scenes where the, the human version of Jack Sully where he's getting in and out of the hibernation chamber and he doesn't have use of his legs because he's paraplegic. And his legs look all kind of weak and anemic. And I don't know if that was CGI. If it was, it was really well done because there's times where he's touching his knees and grabbing his legs and they, they look like they've been atrophied. Like they did yeah. a really good job of that, I thought. So. I, I think I think it was probably borrowing from the same technology they used for Forrest Gump with Lieutenant Dan, where they where he had no legs. Where it's pro- again, I don't know, but I'm guessing that you know because this was you know what five six seven years after Forrest Gump, right. they probably just had his legs like wrapped in the green cloth, the blue cloth, whatever, and then so that way he could still like touch his legs, touch his knees. But mm-hmm. they probably had those little dots, so they knew we're gonna CGI in little withered legs but in the scenes where he had to like actually touch and interact with his own legs he was able to do it in a way that made the uh any sort of post-production special effects still make sense but but so maybe meant- right. maybe it was for real i don't know i just yeah. it, it looked it looked too the his legs looked too withered to not be special effects given that i know his legs really work mm-hmm. so i just wanted to say that um avatar and i mentioned this before this movie's borrowed from a ton of other movies I'm not saying it's not original, like it is, but it just, it's borrowed from a hell of a lot of other movies. So I made a list 
of examples throughout the movie where it takes ideas from other films. And and yeah. the thing is, too, like, like, I don't mind when movies pay homage to other films, but at times this kind of feels like it's it's ripping them off. I don't okay. Know. Maybe Give I'm wrong. List. So let's, let's talk through these, okay? Sure. So the movie opens up with people waking up from hibernation while traveling through space. Been done a few times, but this is really from Alien. And Sigourney Weaver is the, is the queen of this movie trope, it seems. So there was that. And then the sergeant says, you're not in Kansas anymore, which is, you know, from The Wizard of Oz. You know, when, when Dorothy says, she, but her line's a little bit different. She's like, Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. You know, maybe it's an homage, but it feels a little bit more like a ripoff. The holographic maps that the people use at the base looks good. But it's all from the Star Wars original trilogy, I thought. So, you know, I, I guess I've got a lot more here. I'm going to go through them. I, I think you could say that maybe this movie builds on the ideas of other movies, but it does it a lot. <laughs> like, it happens a lot. Um, the sergeant, when he gets in that walking suit of armor, you know, that robot thing. Yeah. I guess at least James Cameron borrowed from himself because in Aliens, that's what they did, right? Yeah, the load lifter is is clearly a precursor to this sort of military robot thing. Again, maybe I'm stretching, but I like this came to my mind. The scene where the the, the female blue monkey, I can't remember her name, she's going to shoot Jack with the arrow and this glowing jellyfish comes along. It's like the glowing jellyfish of peace. Yeah. It totally remind me that like they were borrowing the the concept. Remember those monks in the man who would be king? Remember, you remember you uh, said you went back and watched it. Whenever those yeah, monks came on the scene, it's like everybody stopped. Yes, they yes, like, yes, 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 yes. It just reminded me of that. I don't know. And I thought that the blue monkeys, the village and the trees re- reminded me of the Ewok village from Return of the Jedi. Oh, yeah, that's fair. Totally okay. reminded me of that. And the horses that they ride, the sound that those horses make is identical to the raptors in Jurassic Park. I mean, identical. Hmm. Go back and listen to those horses. It is raptors, I'm telling you. And these islands that float in the air reminded me of reminded me, reminded me of Bespin from The Empire Strikes Back. And they even mention the network of energy that flows through all living things. That's a ripoff of the Force from Star Wars. I even thought the big battle scene when they hit the tree and they blow it up and it comes crashing down totally reminded me of 9-11. I don't know if that was meant on purpose, but there's explosions, there's the fire, there's people trapped up in the tree. And then afterward, there's all this white dust. It's like ground zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, the scene where they're attacking the Navi and they're losing. And then out of nowhere, Michelle Rodriguez kind of comes blasting in from out of nowhere. Reminded me of Han Solo and the Millennium Falcon during the trench battle. Okay. And then the last one I have is when the Navi are all chanting around the base of the tree totally reminds me of the Who's in Whoville in the Grinch. Remember when they, Ma who foray da who do re welcome Christmas. That's what I thought. So there was a lot of stuff going on in this movie that I thought, man, they've plucked it from everywhere. Well, what is it? I mean, uh, what is that saying? Um, uh, As a writer, I hear this a lot. It's uh, good authors borrow and great authors steal. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's sort of the same idea here is, if, if someone has a good idea and you can leverage it to make your story better, why not? 
Um, so I, I mean, a lot of the ones you talked about definitely, I think were, um, known and probably conscious choices. I think some of them might be a little more coincidental or some of them might be more broad themes that would apply to a lot of different movies or pop culture or, or what have you. But, um, no, I mean, you certainly can't, I think all the ones you brought up, uh, are, are valid. And I think there's definitely a discussion on uh, on how they're related. But um, I, I honestly, I don't have any issues with that. If, if you're going to take um, ideas or style from some of these other things that have come before, some of the things you mentioned are, are great. Why not? And if anything, it's like some of the ones you mentioned were coming from things that were like, well, that was just OK. I think Jan- Cameron did a great job. So if you can take it from somewhere else and make it even better, then why not? Yeah, and that's why I think why I said, like, he kind of builds on ideas at times. Mm-hmm. But in other cases, it feels like a bit of a rip-off. So every time that you nominate these newer films, I always have lots of questions for you. I have a oh, whole bunch of questions for you here. It's been a so, decade since I've seen this, so I don't know if I'll be able to answer all but, your I mean, questions. You, you but you watched yeah. it recently, and you know it, I watched right? it yesterday. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. The name of the stuff that they want to mine from the planet. Oh, Wasn't yeah, it called Exploitium or something? Unobtainium. Unobtainium. Uh, it seemed like a little bit on the nose for me. Of a name. Apparently, and I, I've read a little bit about this. Apparently, unobtainium is a sort of like, you know, when you're doing math equations and you solve for X, apparently unobtainium is in, in some fields of science. When you're trying to search for something, the mm-hmm. placeholder you put in there is unobtainium because it's so ridiculously on the nose. And then once you figure out whatever it is you want, you, you replace just like with X, if I'm doing, you know, Two plus three equals X. Eventually I realize X equals five and I change X to five. And that's the idea in science is you, you solve for unobtainium. And once you figure out what it is, you change it. And I've heard two different things. I've heard that Cameron put unobtainium in as a placeholder in the script and then nobody ever bothered to change it. But I've also heard that it was deliberately done for this exact kind of reason that in science, there is something called unobtainium, but it's supposed to be, you know, this idea of the perfect find, like, I'm solving for an equation that I may never solve in my life. We're just going to put unobtainium. And that was, uh, uh, again, I don't know if this is correct or not, but this is one of these things is the idea that this mineral is just so amazing that they actually, in in the, the world this movie exists in, they never bothered to come up with anything better because it literally checked all the boxes of this unobtainable, perfect thing that had never, ever been recorded before. So, I mean, either way, I'm good with it. Mm. You're right. It's a little on the nose. And I think it would have been nice for them to just, you've already created a whole alien race and alien language and alien landscape, all these plants and creatures. Like why stop there? All you need to do is name one more thing, name the stupid mineral. So Mm -hmm. I can go either way on that one. I have some questions about the Navi for you, Derek. How do they speak English? Are they taking like Rosetta Stone language lessons on Pandora? How th- I didn't I couldn't figure that out. How do they speak English? So they had, they had talked early in the movie about how Sigourney Weaver's character and that team of scientists years earlier had 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 basically used their avatar bodies to interact with these aliens, and for whatever reason there had been a falling out, and they hadn't been able to sort of go back to those go back to the tribe, and so when Sully shows up. He's he's the one that's able to sort of bridge that gap. And so it's sort of talked about in the in the sort of preamble of the movie at the beginning that they had created a school where they were able much like missionaries where they had gone to the Navi. 
They had built these schools, taught them English, tried to teach them about what human culture was like so that there could potentially one day be a diplomatic solution where when the miner showed up and said, we want this unobtainium, there was a diplomatic way to make everybody happy without any violence. And that was sort of established in the first 10 or 15 minutes of the movie. And then, of course, we, we you know, the last half of the movie Lots of islands, no diplomacy. So I think we all know where that goes. Uh, the fibers of their tail, or was it from their ponytails or whatever? I can't remember. But it, they intertwine with the yes. creatures around. Is that just like bond with the creatures? Is that what that was? Yeah, it seemed to be like uh, you bond with them. You get like a telepathic connection kind of mm. thing. And again, that I think you just sort of more take it on faith. They say, you know, right. they sort of use this high level language of, oh, this is a special sacred bond. It's like, OK, fine. I already accept that you're a nine foot tall blue alien. We'll just take for granted and we'll accept that your little tentacle ponytail thing can connect to the horse. And suddenly you can tell it where you want it to go. The Navi kind of look like the actors playing them. Obviously. Yeah, I think that's deliberate. But the one thing I noticed, though, Sigourney Weaver's CGI blue monkey looked weird. Well, just, I think they all look weird. Yeah, it just didn't quite look like her. It just I thought it was weird. So they also wear clothes, sort of. And it seems weird to me. I don't know. They're in the jungle and stuff like that. So what was it? Uh, Zoe Zaldana's character. Mm -hmm. She has these beads that just barely cover her chest. I mean, it's it's like the, the Navi version of the Cheryl Teague's fishnet bathing suit. Do you know what yeah. I mean by that, Derek? Yep. Yeah, if, yeah exactly. If, if, if you've never heard of this, Google it. I mean, it got me through high school. Let's Don't just Google it from your work computer. <laughs> no, exactly. It's not safe for work. But it's it's my job to bring up the Gen X stuff. So sure. Cheryl Teague's wore this like fishnet bathing suit back in the late 70s. It was like what the blue monkey had on here. So you were so close to seeing blue. It's like right there. You know? Well, but I think, again, Cameron is a, is a savvy enough filmmaker that he knows if he just as long as he he comes up with a reasonable explanation for why you're not seeing aliens, then he doesn't have to worry about a restricted rating and he can keep it family friendly. And same thing, you know, you never see their butts and you never see like they're all wearing loincloths and, and, mm -hmm. and they're either they're, you know, they're wearing jewelry or something over the top to cover their chests if they're female. It's like, I'm OK with that. I, I've watched movies long enough and television long enough to know that it seems silly in practicality. But from a television audience point of view, movie audience point of view, I'm fine with it. I just accept that we're not going to see anything. And honestly, they're blue aliens. Who cares if you see it or not? Another thing that kind of stood out to me, and, and we've talked about this before, is how the bad guys don't think that they're the bad guys, right? And the same is going on here. Or yeah. at, at least they justify their evil actions so they can sleep at night, you know, whatever it is. But there's the scene where that evil sergeant, and, and let's be honest, like he's totally a bad guy, right? He uses all this language to justify his action, even though it's all because he calls the blue monkeys hostiles. They're just defending themselves against attack that they never provoked, right? Yep. And then when they go in to blow up that giant tree to get the exploiting, what is it? Unim unobtainium. Unobtainium. And he's like, we will fight terror with terror. Like, even though it's the humans, the ones doing the terrorizing here, right? Yep. I mean, the blue monkeys, they're just trying to defend themselves and their land and just trying not to get killed. But that's what bad guys do, right? 
They always well, try I mean, and justify their actions by making stuff up about their their perceived enemies, you know? Yeah. And I think I think you can very fairly say that this that you know, the broad strokes of this movie are very much in line with the the you know the the American settlers settling the the west of the U.S. where mm-hmm. they're you know they're displacing the people who were there originally who they you know the 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 Native Americans who were there never had a beef with them and then it's like hey we showed up we want your land and it's like well of course I'm going to defend my land and even to the point with the Navi it's like they use traditional you know quote unquote cowboys and Indian style weapons it's like they're using bow and arrows they're using they're using daggers like they don't have firearms they don't have explosives they're they're depicted as being like very in touch with nature which very much leans on the traditions of the native americans again i'm not an expert in that area i just know what i've seen through pop culture and and read and studied online but uh you know it's clear that that's where this is leaning on or where this is taking inspiration from but again it's being done to the to the the nth degree where it's so over the top that to your point, the guy who's the the colonel with the scar on his face, he is clearly the bad guy. Like he is just so gung ho, go forward, do the thing. There's no reasoning with him. It's like he is going to do it, come hell or high water, and that's it. And you know, if if it, like one of the things, one of the podcasts I listen to, they always ask, they're like, do you think this movie could be remade as a ten episode Netflix? It's like if this was made, remade as a ten or twelve episode prestige TV, you would probably have some of these main characters, they wouldn't be so extreme. They'd be a little more subtle and you'd get more of their backstory. Well, why are they here and what's motivating them and all that stuff. But in a two hour movie, or in this case, almost a three hour movie, you got to hit that right on the head, right out of the gate. Bam. I'm a military guy. I'm here to kill the bad guys and get the stuff and get paid and follow orders. It's like, okay, well as the audience, now I know who to cheer against. So, and it's not just about like manipulating the Navi to get what they want. This guy, this Sergeant guy, you know, this is a tactic for him because remember he, he, he manipulates uh, Jack. Cause he's like, he's like, I'll help you get your legs back. You know, when we get yeah. back to earth. Yeah. Right. He's totally just saying that to get Jack to do what he wants. Just, he's just playing on the guy's weaknesses to exploit him. You know, yeah. Bad guys suck. <laughs> bad guys, man. They suck. I want to talk a little bit about video games. You mentioned video games. I think it's interesting. I know you're not a big gamer at all like me. I'm not a big gamer either. I like 80s video games like Dragon's Lair and Matt Mania and stuff. But like those home video console games, the first person shooter stuff, mm-hmm. I've never even played those. You know, I have a pretty good idea what they're all about. I mean, I've seen, you know, video and pictures, Derek. But at, at times I felt like a lot of what was going on in this movie felt like a video game, like like Halo or that sort of crap. Is, is, am I right or am I off base on that? Um, again, I'm not really a big video game guy myself. For me, when I say it looks like a video game, it's the the masses. Like a lot of these video games that I've seen online, it's like you you are part of a larger army, let's say. And, and maybe in something like, mm-hmm. you know, you've got a game where you and your friends are online and you're part of a, a raid crew. You're, you're a party of, of adventurers or you're part of a military squadron. And it's all the other people in the background that are being run by the computer that just sort of, you know, they look like the faceless masses. That's what I, when I think like, oh, this looks like a video game. That's to me what I'm seeing is, and you see this in a couple right. of scenes, like where the home tree is being destroyed and you see all the Navi fleeing into the jungle. To me, it's like they all basically look the same, uh, partly because we're seeing it from far enough away that you can just get a sense of the numbers. Oh, there's hundreds of them running away. You have to be far away for that shot to work. 
but because they're so far away, you can't really put enough detail on any of them to make them unique. And it's like, to me, that's when I'm like, well, this is like, if it looks like a video game, but I, I mean, there's, I don't really necessarily know if there's a, a resolution to that. I think that's just the way it is. The mediums well, have started to overlap over time. Yeah. Overall though, like I'm, I'm happy you made me watch this movie. I'm glad that I've seen it. You know, the the highest grossing film of all time. And now I'm more educated than I was before on uh, newer pop culture. So I thank you for that. Do you want to give a rating to this movie for me? Um, I'm trying to think back of some of the ones we've watched recently that I've rated really strongly, like really high numbers. Mm -hmm. And as much as I enjoy this, I don't think it's as good as some of those movies, even though this is the number one earning movie. I would probably give this a seven and a half or an eight. Probably, I think today I'm going to go with a seven and a half, but yes, being again tomorrow might be as high as an eight. And I think that's probably a little lower than some of the other really strong movies we've seen recently. But I don't know. I just, I think this movie is good, but not amazing. And you never know. I'm going to see the sequel here in a couple of months. Mm -hmm. And after I see the sequel, that might just amp it up. And if you ask me this question again, I might be like, oh, well, now that I've seen where the story goes after this, I could totally appreciate this one even more. But on its own, without any other context, say seven and a half. I agree with you. I'm going to go with an eight. I'll go a little bit higher than you. I thought it was quite good, um, but it wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination right. and not worthy of the highest grossing film of all time. That's Star Wars. Well, so. I don't know about that. But I think to your point... Be- because of the advancements with technology mm-hmm. and because we are, well, at least I am sa- a savvy movie watcher as we move forward. And as technology improves, you start to get a little more critical of older technology, which maybe at the time seemed amazing. And I, I find when I watch newer movie, when I'm watching now a movie that's 10, 15, 20 years old, and you look at some of that technology it sort of jumps out at you a little bit as like, oh, I can tell this is from a computer. It looks great, but there's just something about it that because it's been improved more recently and you've seen better examples of it more recently, that that you sort of become a little more critical. I think that's my thing with Avatar. Had you asked me this 10 years ago, Avatar probably would have been eight and a half or nine. But I think after seeing sort of how technology has improved, this is good. Don't get me wrong. But you, I can pick out some of the little things, and I'm like, mm, I, that's that doesn't wow me. And I think the sequel will definitely look better than this one. But this I, one looks great. Yeah, I agree with you with, on everything that you've just said. But you know, the one that stands out to me is Jurassic Park. It's, Agreed. How many years later? Absolutely, it still looks good. It looks, looks great. There's not. I don't think there's a time in that movie. Maybe the brachiosaurus at the very beginning. But other than that. There's not a single time in that movie where I look at it and go, oh, that looks like CGI. It just looks so great. Yeah, so, I totally agree. You know. All right. So uh, on that note, let's have some fun with Caveman. Okay. So time once again to play a little game that I like to call Pick the Flick. Yeah, pick the flick. You get the synopsis, then pick the flick. You get the year, pick the flick. All right, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the year and the synopsis, just like the song says. And you pick the flick. Just like that great song. Oh, God. Okay. Okay, common thread with these flicks. Like Avatar, they're all movies with one-word titles that start with A. 
Start with A. Okay. Yep. That sounds very like it should be really easy. You're going to knock this one out of the park. Okay. All right. Let's go. 1998. After discovering that an asteroid the size of Texas will impact Earth in less than a month, NASA recruits a misfit team of deep core drillers to save the planet. Yeah. I love this movie. Armageddon. All right. You're going to go on a run here. 2016. A linguist works with the military to communicate with alien life forms after 12 mysterious spacecraft appear around the world. Yeah, we, we did this one earlier on our podcast called Arrival. Yes, we did. We did. Love that movie. 1980, a man afraid to fly must ensure that a plane lands safely after the pilots become sick. Hmm. Well, it doesn't sound familiar. Oh, no, wait. Is that, is that air, airplane? Exclamation point. Yes. Surely you can't be I was serious. overthinking it. I was thinking yeah. it was like a trauma. I'm like, was it called like airliner? And I'm like, wait, no, this is airplane. Derby. Keep it simple. 1982, a spunky young orphan is taken in by a rich eccentric, much to the chagrin of the cantankerous woman who runs the orphanage. Well, that would be Annie. 1981, an alcoholic billionaire playboy must marry a woman he does not love or he will be cut off from his $750 million fortune. Oh, this movie sucks. Arthur. You almost got X'd there because that movie does <laughs> not suck. That movie it's is awful. fantastic. You are so, so bad. Wrong. I'm not talking about the Russell Brand remake. I know, oh, I know. Man, 1981 no. so good. Oh, you are so wrong. The Butler was the only saving grace in that movie. What was? The Butler was the only saving grace in oh, that movie. John the rest Gilgood. movie, Sir two John thumbs was way oh, down. You are so, so wrong. 1993, after crash landing in the snow-swept Andes, a Uruguayan rugby team have no choice but to turn to desperate measures in order to survive. Was that one just called Alive? Yes, it was. All right, 2018. Arthur Curry, the human-born heir to the underwater kingdom of Atlantis, goes on a quest to prevent a war between the worlds of ocean and land. Well, that's a comic book movie. That's Aquaman. 1984, the life, success, and troubles of Wolfgang Mozart, as told by Antonio Salieri, the contemporaneous composer who was insanely jealous of Mozart's talent and claimed to have murdered him. Yeah, uh, that was Amadeus. Yeah, surprisingly, one of Yancey's favorite movies of all time, believe it or not. I haven't seen it in a while, but I did like it when I saw it last. Quite good. Been a, been a quite Tom Hulse from Animal House was yeah. in that one. All right, 1990, the victims of an encephalitis epidemic many years ago have been catatonic ever since. But now a new drug offers the prospect of reviving them. Oh, that's, that's the one with... With Robert De Niro, it was, I can't remember if it has an S on the end of it or not. I think it was just called Awakening. Oh. I'm giving you an X. It's Awakenings. I yeah, would normally I give it to you, but because you didn't like Arthur, you're getting an X on that. Oh. <laughs> wow. 2012, acting under the cover of a Hollywood producer scouting a location for a science fiction film, a CIA agent 
launches a dangerous operation to rescue six Americans in Tehran during the U.S. hostage crisis in Iran in 1979. Yep, that was Argo. 1989, the year I stopped watching movies. The spirit of a recently deceased expert pilot mentors a newer pilot while watching him fall in love with the girlfriend that he left behind. Oh, was that uh, was that Spielberg? That was um, oh, I, I can picture it's the airplane one. John Goodman's in it. It's called Always. Yes. I've never seen it, but I just, I remember last one, last one. You're doing really well. This one might sound a little bit familiar. Okay. 1980, a pet baby alligator is flushed down a toilet and survives in the city sewers. 12 years later, it grows to an enormous size. Thanks to a diet of discarded laboratory dogs injected with growth hormones. Now humans have entered the menu. Yeah, this was on our trivia last week or the week before, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah. Is it not just called Alligator? That might be one of the best movie synopses of all time. I love the part about the dogs injected with growth hormones. <laughs> so, so Chris, every yep. week or two, uh, I, I fire up the TV and I go to the, the, the TV guide and to see, I go to the Turner Classic Movies channel. I just cycle through. Oh, it. nice. There's usually What's coming stuff. on over the next couple of weeks? Yeah. Alligator and Alligator Two back to back in a oh couple. Oh my God! So Alex, you're gonna watch Alligator from 1980? I think I, I, I think honestly, I think I set it up to record. Nice. So I went, I went because we're coming into Halloween, so we're getting a lot of like monster movies and yep. horror movies and stuff. Yeah. So if you, it, it was either Turner Classic Movies or the ABS channel, but I think it was a Turner Classic Movies for some reason. So when we get off this pod, go to your your PVR and and fire up Turner Classic and roll across until you I find will definitely it. Definitely do that. Yeah. I will definitely do that. So you did good. You would have got them all if I would have given you awakenings, but because you hated Arthur, I'm not going to give in. No, so, and I, I knew it was one or the other. And yeah. hey, sometimes one letter can make the difference. So next time we get together, we're going to be wrapping up the 1980s with our final pop culture fantasy draft, Eric. So the only year left from that decade that we have to draft from is 1987. So next time out, Derek, you and I are each going to draft a team from 1987. Three movies, three TV shows, three songs, and a personal pick. Y'all ready? Nice. It's gonna yep. be great. I, I I honestly was hoping we would end our ten years of eighties drafts with eighty seven, and it just so happened that, that yep. we did. So that's I because I honestly that was the one I wanted to do the most, and I felt that I had the mm, biggest cool. chance of winning, and so I wanted it to be at the end. And now that I need this victory to tie everything, I'm like. Yeah, it's five to four, right? This is a storybook script that I would have put together. So now I just got to, I'm talking a big game. I just got to do it. I've got five, you got four. So yeah, if you win this one, you tie it up and we're good to go. And we went back and forth. We didn't start at 1980 and then go to 81. Like we went back and forth. We each Mm -hmm. picked a year and then we kind of went all over the decade. So that'll be good. So uh, like I say, when we get back next time, we'll draft our pop culture fantasy team from 1987. But until then, this is Chris McBrien on behalf of myself, our producer Sloth and Derek Meyer saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 